Hello, I'm Annie Ridout, author, journalist, poet and host of this podcast, Home. I felt like it was probably about time that I told my own story of home, where I'm from, where I was raised, where I'm living now and how I'm creating a sense of home for myself and my family, although I don't always feel like where I'm living is actually home. I recorded this episode yesterday, but I wanted to do it again, as today I feel differently about home. And this is part of the reason I'm doing this podcast series. It's because my understanding of what home is changes all the time. And I go up and down and back and forth um, as I think about whether where I am now is home for the long term or whether I've moved away from home and need to move back. I'll explain what I mean by all of this shortly. But first, I'm going to go back to my own beginning and my upbringing. I grew up in North London, raised by my mum and dad with an older sister and a younger brother and various pets over the years. I was shy and quiet and probably found my first primary school, a big state primary school, a bit overwhelming but we didn't really talk about things like that in the 90s. So I just got on with it and um, went under the radar. I remember some days I wouldn't go in for lunch because I had a friend who was having a difficult time and she'd suggest that we should hide behind these sheds. And we would do that and we just would skip lunch and no one noticed. So that's how big and busy the school was. And then when I was about nine, my parents told me we were moving house and we were moving up to this big old wreck of a house that could be lovely um that they decided to buy and do up it was bigger than the house we were we were already living in there were three kids now and it was also in the catchment area of a really good state secondary which the house we had been living at until then wasn't the local school was really rough i think it's now a militant academy so i was told that i would be moving to a new school as well a new primary school i wasn't um secondary school age yet And I was furious and I wrote an appeal against my parents' decision, but they laughed and vetoed it and I had to move to the new school, just right at the end of my road, actually. It was really close. And it was strict and small and all very new and I didn't really know anyone. But it was probably an academically more supportive school. And actually, when I reflect back now, how I feel when I think about my first school was it was just chaos in the playground and roaming around whereas my second school was so contained I think I feel like the classrooms were carpeted and it just had this very cozy feel but it was strict and I wasn't used to that my first school had been quite sort of hippie-ish we used to sing Beatles songs in assembly and things like that my second school was a bit religious and we used to sing hymns I love singing and I don't mind what I'm singing, so I was all right with the hymns. But I think the religious element is was maybe why it was a bit strict. Um, so I developed a nervous cough on moving because I found the transition really hard. And again, this wasn't something we talked about. People just used to tell me to stop coughing. Not my, not my parents, not my family. I remember the brothers of a new friend I'd made. We were sitting watching TV and I had this nervous cough and they were like, stop coughing. Just kept turning around, stop coughing. And I just couldn't. The head teacher also told me to just stop coughing. She called me into her office. She said, you need to just stop coughing. And this is the same head teacher who made me get up and sing a solo in assembly, completely unprepared, a few months into joining the school in front of 300 people. And I had this really high, squeaky voice. 
And she kept saying, sing louder. I was like, oh my God, this is hell for a, for a shy child. Anyway, I did settle in and we lived on this kind of cul-de-sac. So with the new friends I'd made, I could play out on the streets on our Rocher skates with our big ugly striped hockey socks, as was the fashion back then. And looking back, it was a pretty idyllic childhood. My secondary school then was five minutes up the road, and it was, I now understand, a really good state secondary. It was fun. I had fun. I had loads of friends. Um, It was really creative. And I spent my lunchtime singing in the choir and doing dance classes or composing and recording music in the music rooms as I got older. Um, And then after school, I travelled around Thailand and India for six months with a friend. And I think this probably triggered my more adventurous and curious side. Or perhaps that side was triggered and that's what sent me off travelling. But until then, I'd been a bit of a homebody. I was quite a rebellious teen. I lied a lot and I tried everything. But ultimately, I liked home. I liked early nights. I liked sitting and watching telly and just having quite a quiet, small life. But then I also like the contrast of going out and having friends and boyfriends and getting pissed and everything. Anyway, travelling probably didn't quite fit with me and who I was at my core as this kind of homebody, but I felt inspired to go. And so I did, and it was, of course, incredible. And then I got back and I dropped my backpack home and I went straight off to Glastonbury Festival where I met my the person who had become my boyfriend. And then I went off to Edinburgh Festival and I worked there for a month and then started uni in Liverpool. But it didn't really work out because I wanted to be with that boyfriend in London, mostly. So I returned to London, did some catering work. And then didn't know if the relationship was going anywhere. So I moved down to Brighton to live with my sister. I ran away um, slightly rebelliously or to try and, I don't know, be a bit dramatic or something. And I shared my sister's bed for about six months in a shared house. And I waitressed and wrote poetry and went to lovely live music nights and thought I'd like to perform, but always felt too shy. And then I got a place at Sussex eventually to study English even though I didn't quite have the grades, but I talked my way in. So I was now in my early 20s. And what I remember most about that time is just having this hunger for adventure. I had that relationship, that boyfriend, it did go somewhere and he ended up moving down to Brighton and living with me for a while. And together we travelled and partied and had lots of adventures. And I made friends with new people. And most weekends I would stay I would skip at least one night's sleep and I went to, yeah, I just had a lot of fun um, and I was up for everything, all the, the holidays, the uni holidays, I'd work at festivals and travel around Eastern Europe um, and different places and I loved the freedom, I felt liberated and free and adventurous and um, life was really fun and exciting But then I ended up um, moving back in with my parents in London after finishing uni, which I didn't really want to do, though I do also acknowledge the privilege of being able to have a base in London so that I could uh, try and become a journalist, which is what I I went on to do. Um, But by this point, my parents had moved house again and the house they moved to never really felt like home for me. I think that once you've left home, if your parents move, 
and their new home therefore isn't associated with your childhood memories. Even if you then go on to have stints living there, as I did with my parents, I moved back after uni, I moved back um, a couple of years later again with Rich, who was my, who's my husband, and then I moved back again when I had my first baby. But it did, that ho- that house has never had the same feeling as the two before that, where I had been raised. So I had I stayed with my parents for a bit, and then I moved to Hackney to live with my sister and friends. And after a year, I went off to Somerset because I had fallen in love with uh, a farmer. Well, a guy who'd been raised on a farm had gone to London to study film at uni and had returned to work on the farm while doing internships in London, splitting his weeks between rural and urban life, which he said was the real dream. But by this point, he'd actually got a film job. So he's making corporate films in Somerset and I moved to Somerset to be with him. And this was this is Rich, who went on to become my husband. So I left behind my party life in Hackney to live in a cottage with Rich and he said he couldn't quite believe that I was leaving this fun life to live in a village with no one our age. But then love often reigns supreme, particularly romantic love, particularly before kids come along. And I did love him, so I wanted to be with him. And we did a year living in that village. We had chickens in the garden and made lovely meals and I played the guitar and we had a fire and it was all very idyllic. And that was followed, particularly because we'd only been together six months, so it was very much like, you know, we were being very nice to each other. And then we had a year in Froome, the town where Rich was actually working. He'd sort of gone into town one day and said, he was working on the out, on the edges of town, and he said, this is quite a nice place, maybe we should have a look, come for the day. And I went for the day, and I was like, wow, it's lovely. So we lived there, and I ran an art gallery, and he carried on making films, but he did not like his job. And our friends were all in London still, like, raving and partying. And meanwhile, we were in Froome in our sort of early mid-20s. And all our friends were in their 70s because we didn't we didn't have kids. So we didn't have access to that sort of school community. And there weren't young people because they'd all moved away. So we were felt like the only 20-something-year-olds in the whole town. Of course, we weren't, but that's how it felt. So we decided to move back to London and Rich started renovating properties Um, which I now realise slightly mirrors my own upbringing because when I was growing up, my parents would buy houses in a pretty terrible state and do these big renovations. One of them um, we lived in while the work was being done and then the second one I lived in on and off while my brother, who's a builder, worked with my dad, who's an optician by trade but also a a skilled builder and does plumbing and electrics and stuff. So... Building sites are familiar um, and it. Uh, Rich wanted to get into it and I was happy to live in these houses and flats while they were being done up. But when we got to the third property, um, I became pregnant and we ended up staying put. Well, we moved in with my parents for a little bit when it was too dangerous to live in. We realised I brought my baby back and then something was going on with the electrics as I was having a shower and apparently it was extremely dangerous. So we had to uh, go and stay with my parents, which was actually really nice. Um, and then moved back in, had two more children and designed a freelance career that I could work around my kids. And th- that just all felt like home, unquestionably home. They joined a local primary school, which when they joined, I loved. It was very felt very creative and lovely teachers and a lovely deputy head and head. And it was close and family were close and it all felt 
easy is not necessarily the right word because I had three children aged five and under. But it was home and it was life. But I still had this underlying hunger for adventure and change. And then as time went on, our boys became very ill with respiratory issues, which may have been triggered by pollution. We lived off quite a busy road. And when our youngest was three months old, he was put into an induced coma um, because he couldn't breathe and had to have a machine breathing for him. And I said to the consultant, and because we'd also had something similar, it didn't escalate quite as far with our, our second, but he, but actually he was extremely ill and they didn't know if he would survive at one point. It was really, um, really worrying, obviously. And this consultant, I said, you know, both my boys have had these respiratory issues. Could it be where we live? And I told, he said, where do you live? I told him and he said, do you know what? I went there to look for a house to live in and I felt I could never be far enough away from a sort of busy, polluted road. So he didn't move there. And I said, so could it be that these episodes are being triggered by the pollution? He said, yeah, it could be. So I started to feel obviously worried about that. And then our youngest had to go to hospital again. And I was in there for four days. And I was like, Rich, Rich came in. And I said, I can't be doing like, we can't be putting him through this. It's not fair on him. And I don't want to spend my time in this horrible hospital with him on an oxygen machine. It's just really, um, it's really horrible. And if there's a way to avoid it, we need to think about that. Then there was also this... um, question about secondary schools because there was a really good state-run girls school in the in the area um but we didn't want to send any of our children to a single sex school and what this girls what happened because of this girls school was that the mixed schools were very boy heavy because all the girls went to the girls school and, and so it's sort of 70 percent boys in the other schools and didn't feel fair to send our daughter into an environment with quite so many boys love them though i do uh, a balance feels uh, appropriate and fair. Uh, So it didn't feel like there was a good secondary solution for our three children, one girl, two boys, and we wanted them to all go to the same school. And I'm aware there is privilege involved in terms of having the option to move to a different area to be near a better school, um, which is what my parents did for us. um, And I would do for my children. I acknowledge the privilege. I feel very lucky that we have this option to move. And I also feel that education is really important. It's it's high up on our list of priorities for our children and our family. Anyway, after the pandemic, spent in very close proximity to prying neighbours who, in fact, this was uh, kind of the final straw, is that one of our neighbours told on us during the pandemic when we went for a walk we had there were those class lockdowns where one kid would get covid and the whole class would have to go and isolate at home so we were in the middle of one of those we had so many of them obviously and it was just so ridiculous because our child was completely healthy and fine and didn't have covid and we tested and we decided to take our children for a walk around the uh, in a local nature area where we wouldn't be touching anyone wouldn't be close to anyone and we felt it was on mental health grounds it we had to go for a fucking walk I can't even believe that I have to explain this now but um at the time we were breaking bending rules or whatever and this neighbor saw us and reported us to the school 
And I, and this neighbour wasn't perfect themselves, but I never bloody reported them because why would you do that? Anyway, I suddenly felt very claustrophobic. Not suddenly, I'd felt like it for ages, but this was the final straw. And I was like, I just need to leave. I need to not be living in an environment where that's what sort of community looks like. Um, And I, so I wanted space. I wanted space around our home and between us and neighbours. I love having people around. I don't want to live in the middle of nowhere with no neighbours at all, though I did think after that incident that I would like to, but that's not what I want. But I wanted green. I wanted something different. So we toyed between moving nearer to my parents in North London or out to uh, Somerset was the other option. I asked what Rich thought about Sussex but his family are in Somerset so he felt like if we're going to leave London it might as well be towards Somerset um and so we found a derelict and pretty disgusting house that we could see potential in which had had 30 viewings and only one other person had made an offer um and they quickly withdrew it and then um we decided to take it on. We'd had to do an online viewing and the estate agent had a mask on and even through the mark, he was like, this, this stench was so putrid. He just couldn't stop talking about it, which is a really great way to sell a house. And so at first I was like, ah, this, I didn't actually mind that it stank and that it was going to be such a project, but it just looked like quite a strange house. I couldn't quite work out the layout. It's quite hard to see on on uh, Zoom or whatever we did it on FaceTime. And I couldn't see if there was a garden. There was just this mass of brambles. So um, we weren't, we decided against it. And then I said, actually, at that at the price it was at, we, we would massively reduce our outgoings. And we knew Rich could do the work on the house. He could transform it, renovate it. So it would be much cheaper than paying someone else to do it. And it was a, an exciting big project for him. So we decided to buy it. But just before we completed on the house, I had this mad panic. No, before we exchanged, actually. So there was still time to pull out. And I went into complete panic mode because I realised that we were leaving my parents, siblings and nephews behind, plus some good old friends. And I realised that I would have to build a new community of friends from scratch. I had built the community of friends that we had in London that I'd met through having the kids and I was going to have to do it again because Rich would be very busy on the build and because that is just something that does fall to me. I like making friends but it also takes a lot of energy and courage and confidence um, and we just, we'd just be starting again and I realised also I'd started homeschooling my children in London because I'd had to pull them out of school. They were really unhappy since returning um, after the pandemic. And it worked in London, kind of, but it would be totally different in Froome because we didn't know anyone. So in London, we could still meet up with friends um, in the on the weekends and stuff and after school. But in Froome, I'd have three kids, age seven, four and two, all at home with me in a teeny tiny cottage that we'd um, rented for three months while Rich turned our home from uninhabitable like there was human shit filling the bath and dead animals everywhere to livable um and I spent some days during that time just walking around feeling like my head was going to explode because I couldn't work out what to do and Rich tried to create some options he said I could stay in London with the kids he could move to Somerset and do up the house and see us sort of you know have long weekends back with back in London with us but I didn't think it was right to split our family in that way and so I had to choose him and us 
over my wider family. And I wonder if this is where my obsession with home began. It was the point at which I decided to put my nuclear family ahead of my parents, which was the right thing to do. But I wanted both and I could only have one. And I felt like I was being torn in two. And this wasn't because of pressure my parents were putting on me or, of course, my children. I just want and need to be with my children. Um, But I guess Rich had this desire, need to do this project. To He wanted to live in Somerset. And we were that far along that he didn't want to pull out. And so I was being torn between what he wanted and what I wanted in terms of my my parents and my family in London. Anyway, he won. (laughs) And we made the move in the week between Christmas and New Year, which is arguably the most depressing week of the year. And it was like a ghost town in Froome. Everything was shut. No one was there. We couldn't get into the teeny tiny cottage because the woman who was running it was a fucking joke. And it was all grey and dark and depressing. And I could smile through it. And I do like change. I do find it exciting. So even though it felt quite bleak, I was excited to be somewhere new. And at least at first, it felt like a bit of a holiday. Um, So I was sort of putting on a brave face. um, But I have to say that those first few days, I definitely wasn't feeling it. But then we were invited. We kind of knew someone and she knew someone. And we were invited somehow to this New Year's Eve party. And we only went for a few hours. But I saw all these people and life and I and they were all connected. And I was like, ah, this is what life will be like here. We will make friends. We will become part of something. It will feel really nice. And it was so it was so lovely to be invited to that party. And it really um, helped me to feel much better, much more positive about everything. And then over the coming weeks, I started going for runs in the fields near um, where we were staying. And I'd see deer hopping over the the, um, fence and little rabbits on the frosted grass. And I could really see the beauty, feel the beauty of being closer to nature. And then a bloody Doberman jumped up on me and clawed my back. And then I got too scared to run in the fields. That's It happened once. I thought I'd try again. It happened again with the same dog. I thought... I waited a bit and thought, I'll try again. It happened again and then it happened again. And after the fourth time, I just stopped running in fields because that dog, I mean, it's its owner's fault. Mostly it's been a flipping lead. But what I realised is that I left behind in London my fear of burglars and terrorists, only to develop two new fears here, which is dogs. I really don't want to be scared of dogs, but I am because of that stupid dog situation. And cows fucking hate cows I did once get headbutted by a cow so that actually is not a new fear I've developed here but it's just uh, triggered because there's cows everywhere anyway what I did have once we moved into our house was all that green I had all that green now in the pandemic I'd had this sense that I wanted to submerge myself in green all I could see were buildings and this London skyline which I love but I just wanted green. I wanted to dive into dense foliage and become part of it, which is quite a strange thing to get your head around if you haven't also had that feeling. And I have never really spoken about this with anyone, so I don't know if anyone else has ever felt that. But now I did have all this 
dense foliage around me and I didn't jump out the window into it. I didn't actually dive into it, but I just felt surrounded in a way that felt very good for my body and mind and soul. And I started gardening and created a patch of wild meadow, which our garden, so we hadn't really known if we had a garden at all. If we did, it was this sort of at the side, there was a big concrete drive for cars and we basically dug up the concrete, took away the drive put a a fence around and and Rich got a digger and pulled up all the brambles and we've got like a nice garden it's not huge but there's there was enough room to create a few patches for me to rewild and I didn't really know why I was doing this no one had told me to do it um and I wasn't intellectualizing it I was just doing it um but now I think I was laying seeds that would grow roots in this subconscious vague hope that I might too lay and grow roots and feel rooted. My homeschooled kids needed friends and we ended up putting them into a local primary school while the youngest started going to a childminder and getting into a routine, the routine that school brings, felt really good. I was able to start working again and I realised the importance of focus It had all felt quite scatty and confused. Now I had a really clear focus. I got a book deal to write Raise Your SQ, which is my latest uh, non-fiction book. And I had a really incredible few months where I had to raise my own SQ, spiritual intelligence, while writing the book and teaching others how to do the same. And I was doing that through breathwork sessions and meditation and yoga nidra, non-linear movement. I was having massages, had a massage in a yurt out in the countryside and I was connecting with nature, paddling in rivers and having these incredible shamanic healing sessions. It's a very nice time. Uh, And meanwhile, Rich, my husband, was, he'd started to turn, not started, he'd moved quite far with turning the dark derelict house that we bought into something very beautiful. And it now is a very beautiful period property. It's full of light and feels very calm and creative And it's a very nice space. Also, importantly, I started making friends. Really, really lovely friends. The kind of friends I'd hoped to make on moving, but wasn't sure that I would be able to find. And my friends are creative and funny, and many of them are quite spiritual and kind. And so all these wonderful women just started appearing with open arms and welcoming me in. And it was this incredible feeling I mean, it was also hard and it took a while. I have a tendency to look back and omit certain facts. And there were, there were certainly periods where I was like, do they like me? Am I part of this? All this weird, like, it felt like Freshers' Week. Moving to Froome feels like Freshers' Week. There's so many people who've moved here and are, are very keen to make friends, but you're having to sort of work out who who you actually do click with and who who likes you and wants to be your friend. But on the whole... It was really easy. It was really easy making friends and building a a community around us. What I struggled with, though, was going back to London and really missing it, like missing it when I wasn't there and getting there and missing living there that I couldn't just go back to my home in London. I had to get this long train back to Somerset. It's not that long. It's like an hour and a half. Um, But I missed the energy and the buzz and the culture of London and I miss my family and friends. And it doesn't feel easy getting there. Often the trains are cancelled or delayed and I don't, unfortunately, I don't like driving on motorways. I had a car crash when my eldest was a baby and it just 
made me feel really uncomfortable about driving on motorways. Car crashed into the side of me and now slip roads. Anyway, I don't like driving motorways, so I just can't, and I might face that fear in time, but I haven't yet, and so I can't just go between London and Froome as I'd imagined that I might. Um, So we started spending most of our time in Froome. I didn't go back to London all that much because it felt hard when I did and we'd have friends come and stay at first a bit but it quickly tapered off. London in my experience sucks you in (laughs) in a big way and it's really exciting and busy and fun and there's so much going on there but you can sometimes obviously this isn't everyone but it was me and it is a lot of my friends who were there um you can forget that life exists outside of London and so, so I've had friends who haven't visited at all and probably never will Others who visited once, a few come more often. I've had one friend who did come visit me and is now completely ghosting me. It's very fucking strange what can happen to relationships when you move somewhere new. Some strengthen and loads of acquaintance type friendships just completely drop off and it's like you're just never going to see them again. And then some people you think you're really close with and then you stop existing to them when you're not near them anymore. Anyway, I see my parents most months. I see my sister quite often. And when I've been back to London, I've once stayed with my brother, which was lovely, staying at his place with his wife and their four kids. Because in I never have stayed at his house before because we've always lived quite close to each other. And I loved the closeness of the night spent in his home with his family rather than a sort of hurried lunch with the kids all swinging from the ceiling. Um, which has been the norm for some years. It was it was so nice to sort of have a closer, more connected time. So now I'm nearly two years into life in Froome. I still, at my core, feel that London is home. My husband doesn't, which is from Somerset, and he finds it easy to see Froome as home now. The kids aren't sure. They are happy here, but they miss London. They miss our whole house, which we will never move back into. The middle one keeps asking, can we just move back to that house? And uh, could we just swap? Can they come in and we go there? I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. I don't want to move back there. I'm, I don't regret leaving the the place that we left. I was ready for a change, but I can see how he misses it. Because when I moved as a child, I used to dream about my old house and area and my old school and friends. I missed it all so much. So I do really understand that. And we make a lot of space to talk about that. But the kids have also made new friends. And they'd probably really quite like to stay rooted here, to not be uprooted again. The middle one is maybe a bit like me and says he's he's really up for a change and living abroad and travelling and doing all this different stuff. But I don't know if really that is what he needs. And my youngest has just started school and so they're all three at the same school. And the simplicity of one school drop is rather heavenly. Um... I mentioned at the start that I recorded this yesterday and decided to scrap it and start again. And it's because yesterday, I'm going to be really honest here, I felt really sad that I don't live in London. And I ended up having an argument with Rich because I said I want to move back and I want my children to be raised where I was raised and with access to the same culture and in a more culturally and racially diverse place. These things feel really important to me. Um... So I started an argument and then uh, I went out in the evening and we went to bed on an argument, as you're not meant to, but we often do. But in the morning, we had a really calm and compassionate conversation about how we each feel. And Rich explained that he's poured so much time and energy into making our house a home and he just wants to live in it a while. 
he grew up in one house, interestingly, and his dad still lives there. And we therefore have different ideas about moving and change, uh, living in properties while you renovate them and adventures and home. But Rich is going to tell his story in another episode because it's interesting. Um, But I, during our conversation, said, told Rich, I feel sometimes like my life is just shrinking and shrinking and it used to be big and adventurous and now it's small. And I tried to blame him and it's, it's partly his fault, but it's mostly not his fault and it's not about him or place. It's, I think, about me getting older and having three children who need such a lot of me that it doesn't feel like there's a huge amount of space after their needs have been met and I've done my work, worked on my career, for me to escape and have the adventures I'd like to. I want to go to India again. I want to backpack. I'd like to travel on my own. I don't necessarily want to do it with my kids yet. But while I could do this, Rich would certainly support me to go off, not maybe for six months, but maybe for a week or so. Or so. Um but I think maybe it just doesn't fit with how I see myself as a mother. So there's work to be done. My work, though, not anyone else's, around why I feel my life is shrinking and why I'm blaming other people rather than uh, taking the reins and doing something about it. Anyway, so that's how I was feeling yesterday. And then today I woke up having had a bunch of lovely women round for cheese and wine. And we chatted and laughed and shared honest and openly. And it was such a nourishing evening. I love gathering groups of women and it made me feel so at home in Froome and it made me want to stay and I talked about schools and kids with some of the women which helped because I was able to verbalise my concerns about whether there's a good enough option here we all talk about how we'd like school to be more creative that's I think the fault of the government rather than our schools or where where we're living um and then so it was a lovely evening and then this morning I saw the sun bouncing off the kitchen walls and my my little meadow outside was swaying happily in the breeze and I had a run and a sauna and I felt light and lucky and like I am in exactly the right place. This afternoon I'm off to a warehouse that's been turned into a sausage factory to eat some sausages at a sausage party with some friends. Um, My family have all gone, the rest of them have gone to the beach to celebrate someone's birthday. It's really nice to be here alone, actually, at the weekends. It's so rare and so quite precious to just roam around town on my own and have some autonomy and um, to just think about myself and what I want to do. And maybe that's how I enjoy my local area more, when it's just me getting to enjoy it in my way, not me looking for a fucking soft play for my kids to enjoy. I hardly ever go to soft play. I don't know why I said that. Very occasionally I do. They ask to all the time. But obviously we do do kid-centric things. Um, That's not even true either. Maybe it's just sometimes hard being a mother and it takes up a lot of time and you're less free. Anyway, in terms of where I'm living, today I feel good. But yesterday I felt suspended and like... And I'd felt that for a few days or weeks, like I wasn't rooted or grounded. And I was fixated on when we're going to make the next change. I still wonder if I'd like my kids to be raised in London, but I also know that we're not going to rush into anything. And I think I might have to just accept that it will feel like my feet aren't always quite touching the ground. Sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't for quite a few years. But then there are going to be days where I... I love it here and it's home. I certainly love the people and the community here is stronger and kinder than any I have ever known. So I've always maintained that I don't regret moving because 
I wanted a change and there's so much to love about where we are now. And if I'd moved within London, I might have always wondered what a Somerset life would have looked like, especially for our children. And our youngest has not had to go to hospital once since we moved. He doesn't have an inhaler anymore. His breathing's better. So that is such an important thing to hold on to. And so I don't regret any of it. But I do think that the panic I had just before leaving was my, was my intuitive knowing that London is home and family is home and that I was therefore leaving a big chunk of home behind. Other times, though, I wonder if home is just my mum and the safety of her and my childhood. And I wonder if it's possible then that I'll never feel fully at home wherever I am because I'm now a grown up and I'm creating home for my own brood. And I want them to feel at home rather than feeling suspended or untethered, as I often do myself. When I see my parents and sink into their home, wherever we're meeting, if they're on holiday and I go to meet them on holiday, I have this sense of comfort and safety. It's not about the house that they live in, it's them. And I feel so supported and seen and like I'm being a bit looked after. And obviously I try to look after them a bit too. But they do look after me and I feel like I have nothing to prove. It feels like I can breathe breathe, and there's this relief. And so then I wonder, and Clover Stroud mentioned this in her episode of Home, this podcast, I wonder if home to me is slipping into a childlike state and being held by my parents. I also just wonder if home is being back in the womb where we will never be again. But I am home for my three children and their dad, Rich, is too, but it's probably more me. They grew inside me. They lived off my body as I breastfed them for years. Um, And they slept with me often. They often still do. And I've just always been there. So where I am for them is home. But that doesn't mean I can just keep uprooting them and that they'll still feel at home as long as they're with me. Though, funnily enough, my dad did say to me when we were talking about moving, I said, you know, how will the kids be? And he was like, if they're with you, they will feel like they're at home. Just remembered that. So, yeah, kids don't like change as much as I do. My kids don't. Uh, Maybe some do. I don't think they do, though. I think they mostly like stability and certainty and routine. And so we can't just flit about, which doesn't want to flit about, I do, um trying different things out because I don't want to destabilise our children. I don't want them to grow up feeling untethered and not knowing where to live or what will bring them comfort. I want them to feel grounded and held in themselves. Um, And actually, that's what Marcelle Farrell, who I also interviewed for Home, said. She wants to teach her children how to have a sense of belonging within. I loved that. Also, Rich doesn't want to move. He likes his life here and he likes the work he's doing. And I do wonder about local secondary schools. We originally were hoping to move near a good mixed state school for our kids. We haven't necessarily ended up near an amazing one. I hear mixed things. So I'm not sure what we'll do at that stage, which is fast approaching. But the conversation is ongoing and a bit one-sided. It's just me chewing Rich's ear off. So eventually I will probably need to just push to make a move or make peace with where we are and shut the fuck up. But if I do that, 
you know, it's a lovely place to be. I love the people. I love the green all around me. I love that the air is fresher. I love riding my mint green bike safely around town. I love how good, how nice the drivers are. They're so kind. They let you go. They move to the side in their car and they let you go. And then they thank you for letting them let you go. It's lovely. Um, I love that my office, where I'm sitting right now, looks out on a sprawling magnolia tree. And if I peer over to the left, I can see a patch of wild meadow thick with poppies and marigolds and daisies that I planted. And out of every window in this house, which is semi-detached, I just see nature. And I also love the parties that people have all the time. These people here are quite wild. And there are all these gatherings and I have people around a lot and people have me around a lot and there's so much to love. And yet I have this sense in my body that this can be home for now, but not forever, because one day I will need to return home only by then my family, my husband and children will be sure to see Froome as home. And so how will I connect my obviously stronger need to be with my children and husband with my still strong need to be in the physical landscape that soothes my nervous system, which is London, and to be where my ageing parents are as and when they start to need me. That is a big part of this for me, is wanting to be near them when they need me, as they have been here for me all these years. I don't have the answer. I want to simultaneously live this beautiful life that we're living on the edge of countryside as part of this small, creative, warm, welcoming town, while also living in London. I want both lives at the same time. I want my kids to grow up in London and also to grow up in Somerset. And of course, I can't have that. People talk about finding home within your body or about the different ways they bring their past and old homes into their present through food and people and furniture and different cultural experiences and language. I have a strong sense that one day I will need to be back in London and maybe that's because I still have family there, maybe it's because the city is a city I was raised in and so it's what feels like home and it is still accessible to me. I could potentially move back there one day um, and I'm not sure that feeling of London being home will ever shift unless it is satiated. So I will continue to enjoy my wonderful friendships and the smell of wood smoke as I walk down into town early evening and the lovely local restaurants and shops and I will enjoy watching my garden spring back to life after the winter and I will continue to explore home by interviewing other women who live somewhere different to where they were born and raised and importantly I will be grateful for having the option to choose where I live. I will keep in mind too that the only thing we can be certain about is that there's nothing we can be certain about. So who knows what might happen next? Thank you so much for listening to me talking about home. There are episodes with other women where I interview them to hear about where they were born and raised and what home means to them. And it's something different to each of us. But I think we can all learn from each other. So it's a privilege to be exploring this through this podcast series. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.